What's up everyone, welcome back to Rebranded Safety. <clears throat> Today we're going to talk about an article in the Irish magazine all about ISO 45001, which is the new health and safety uh, international standard organisation's recognised standard. Let's get into the podcast. Health and safety is almost a victim of its own success. We are an oppressive regime of health and safety regulations. Huge fire engulfs a tower block in London. Children being forced to wear goggles to play conkers at school. Worst oil field disaster, 164 dead. Rebranding Safety, the modern health and safety podcast, crushing the stereotype. And your host, James McPherson. So, <clears throat> basically, I have zero experience in ISO 45001, absolutely zilch. However, quite a bit of experience in the previous 18,000, was it 18,000? Where's the number, where's the number, where's the number? Yes, the Occupational Health and Safety something, organisation, no, Association Standards, the O-H-S-A-S, basically, 18,001. So the old ISO health and safety, basically, was 18,001, but it wasn't ISO. So now we've got the ISO 45,001. Everyone's been talking about it for a very, very, very long time. Um, it, it's out there. People can transition over to it. People can join it brand new. Um, it's supposed to align everything with, like, the 9,001 and the 14,001, which is quality and uh, environment, respectively. So, I'm basically just going to read out, you can see if you're on YouTube, um, I've highlighted a few bits in this article, I'm, I'm going to read through them, and then I'm going to give my opinion, as per is this podcast, is my podcast, therefore I'm allowed to give my opinion, be it right or wrong. So, let's begin. This is an article by Richard Jones. Richard Jones is quite a... Uh, an often frequenter of this magazine who is the head of policy and public affairs at IOSH so he's he's all high on up there is is the way to describe that I think anyway so interestingly first thing on here more than a thousand workers are killed in work-related accidents worldwide and six thousand five hundred die from diseases associated with their jobs i thought that was just like slap in the face straight away straight in there richard with the slap facing statistics to say holy shit a lot of people have died then he goes on to say that 70 countries have collaborated in the development of the international um, standard uh, whose anniversary was marked on the 12th of March. So it's been a year, 43 countries have adopted this standard, interestingly. Um, then it goes on to say whether or not they're certified to ISO 45001, organisations and their supply chains can reap the benefits of effective risk management by adopting the standard principles such as on leadership, culture, worker participation and competence. Employers need to do what's right for their organisation and workers and appreciate that ISO 45001 certification is not an end in itself. Now, for me, it's the last bit there that I thought was absolutely huge. 
it's not the end in itself for, for me that that is very important to understand that in my experience a lot of people think we get this iso badge that we put on our headed letters we put on all of our product branding etc etc and to be fair if you're in kind of like manufacturing or you're selling a service something like that you might be de demanded by your customers to have these standards so obviously going to brand it around there um, outlandishly and put it on everything that you can quite rightly however as a lot of people think that once you get this boom you're automatically safe or maybe they're not naive enough to think that but they think boom we are automatically protected from liability but you're not because you've got the management standard and then something went wrong well you still something went wrong so you're still not managing it so you know it's not this kind of one trick pony this magic trick kind of magic wand that's going to come in and fix everything and i think it's very important to know that um and that it's saying it doesn't matter whether you go for the iso 45001 or you kind of follow the principles or you go with uh, you work all off the hse guide or you know whatever come up with your own management system the importance is those kind of those standards that we talk about you know there's risk ma risk management leadership culture work participation which is absolutely massive for me uh, and competency um <clears throat> so i thought that was very interesting statement for him to make and i was quite pleased to read it let's move on my next highlighted statement tailoring materials for different audiences is crucial the organization the international organization for standardization iso even though they do it the wrong way around i don't know why they do that anyway is developing bespoke guidance for smes small and medium-sized enterprises as is the british standard institution bsi and the health and safety executive hse in the uk iosh members have offered to help by working with their sme contract contacts to provide direct feedback on how valuable resources are in practical terms i thought that was interesting that, that they're kind of acknowledging that kind of one standard doesn't fit all or one business or a, you know a larger corporate business is going to interpret stuff much differently for a small and medium-sized enterprise even a sole trader you know you know you could have a, a sole trader in a gang on a construction site that could quite rightly take on these principles i don't think it would be uh, proportionate to their risk but still they could do it um and those people inherently in their roles and their size of their business will interpret stuff a lot differently so i thought it was very interesting that they acknowledge that and are producing bespoke guidance and then all the other big organizations like the hc etc have kind of taken it on and are going with that as well which i thought was really really interesting and and positive as well um i couldn't comment on whether these guidance are any good or not or in my opinion whether they're any good um because i haven't seen them so i just thought that was a very interesting point to know and quite a positive step as well the other in interesting thing that i saw was the next statement the global reporting initiative the gri an international standards organization and international standards organization that specializes in sustainability reporting has also aligned its product gri 403 to the iso iso for t5001 so basically they've just picked bits out of the 45001 that would affect their thing and kind of roll it all into one and and just kind of go through this it's basically like this reporting system and 
And I thought that was good. If if there's, I think it says in here, there's 90 countries that use that. Thousands of organisations use the GRI 403. So I thought that was. It, it's just really pleasing to see all these other organisations kind of absorbing um, all these different variations and, and acknowledging that health and safety is not a bolt-on and it needs to be included in the wider reporting of sustainability or whatever we do. If we start seeing it, maybe in like, you know. M- maybe it's the, we start seeing it in kind of the stocks and shares and stuff like that how how is that affecting our stocks and shares so is health and safety data important to our stocks and shares i, I don't know maybe we start seeing that in there we start to include it as part of the business and it's not just this kind of this additional boring bolt-on that we have on the business so we just do or you know we're going to manage health and safety let's employ a health and safety manager or let's get iso 14001 and once we pass the audit that's it done um once we just start having it ingrained into the business that it's just something we do not just something we have then oh that's a nice way to say it. it's not something we do it's something we have i like that hashtag coined the phrase so I thought that was really interesting and very positive, again, to see that we've got those big organisations creating bespoke guidance for the smaller businesses, the SMEs, and then we've also got external um, international standardisation organisations absorbing and ingraining what they do with the wider 45,001, which I thought was pleased to see. It seems to be everybody's kind of on the boat of this. Everyone's just kind of wanting to back it, uh, whether they've all got shares or in it, I don't know, but it's um, it's nice to see. Let's move on then. So, so the next interesting statement then, it says, I'm paraphrasing here, but it says uh, employers that have had or do have the ISO 9000 and the 14000, which, as I said, are the quality and environmental standards, have found it much easier to show that they have or met the requirements for the 45001. So you can obviously tell that they've, they've kind of got their own language and the way they're talking and the way it works is very similar. So understanding how that system works helps. So if you're going to jump straight onto 45001, it's going to be difficult if you've never had that kind of stuff before. Um, and it's going to be harder for you if you haven't got those other standards. So what they're saying is that it's easier to bring on 45,001 if you've got 9,000 or 14,000 because you're kind of used to the way it works you're used to those excuse me those management systems which I thought was an interesting point as well obviously if you're transitioning over to 18,001 it's probably going to be even more easier if you've got all three um, and it's just a transition over to 45,001 however there is work to do to get up essentially step up to 45,001 which we shall come on to in a moment also kind of Richard has kindly highlighted some areas so there's several areas uh, apparently according to the statement so several areas did challenge some um, such as securing the buy-in from the top management um, across the organization understanding the needs and expectations of workers and other interesting parties showing that workers have been consulted and had participated in the process beyond the supervisory level to frontline staff and contractors demonstrating competence and how it's maintained ensuring that any management review identifies the right interest in parties interested parties as well as internal and external factors ensuring there have been robust investigations so that root cause of failures are identified if i'm brutally honest i think these are everyday struggles for every single business out there we can't seem to get a grasp on root cause identification or any kind of 
a tangible incident investigation period um hashtag american um we just don't seem to get that stuff top management i it's difficult with top management i think they do you know nobody nobody what kind of wants to sit there nobody will sit there and say you know, I'm, I'm fine with my staff getting hurt. I don't think anybody comes to work like that, but it's it's that kind of education piece and maybe that the perception of safety. They're not going to buy into the, their current perception of safety um, because they see it as this big bureaucratic process of management systems, risk assessments. So which part of this is part of that kind of perception so it's on you if you're a safety professional out there or you know just the the safety bod of a business um to, to change that perception and kind of convince top board that they're buying into their staff because essentially that's what we're doing here we're trying to protect our people we're trying to play, create a nice place to work so you know you're not buying into a bureaucratic system if you do safety right you're buying into your employees and your staff and you're buying back into your business um you're, you're buying into yourself as well as a, as a leader you're buying into keeping yourself out of jail and all that all that kind of scare tactics crap that you've been told for years um part of it is warranted to a point so what are the other challenges? Um, understanding the needs and expectations of workers and other parties. I think that might be quite specific. Can't really comment on that one. Showing the workers have been consulted. Uh, that's that's difficult. I, I get how do you physically show that. I think that shows potentially a problem in the auditing system in my opinion. If I wanted to find out how people have been consulted, I would go and ask the people, hey, have you been consulted? Um, what kind of conversations do you have? I think you can find out a hell of a lot by just talking to people. So I'm a bit on the fence. I might have misinterpreted that one. I'm happy for Richard or anyone else to tweet me or contact me on LinkedIn and tell me how wrong I am. I'm, I'm cool with that. Um, but for me, if you want to show how your workers have been consulted, if I was an auditor said to me, or, you know, show me how your workers have been consulted, I'll be like, go and talk to them. Here, I'll, I'll walk you around and we'll, we'll go and talk to them. Hey, this is Bob. Bob's our machine operator. Hey, Bob, do you want to, this auditor is going to ask you some questions um, and I'll go around like that. I think you can get a feel for a business pretty quickly um, just from talking to people that are in the business. So that one's interesting. I'm a bit on the fence with that one. Um, like I said, I'm happy to be um, told otherwise. What's the other ones? Let's have a demonstrating competence and how it is maintained. A lot of people struggle with competence, I think. Um, how do you do it? I mean, it was interesting actually. I was listening to a learning and development, the learning and development podcast about a gentleman. I cannot for life of me remember his name, uh, but it was quite good. And they, they mentioned something about kind of like a learning skills analysis or training needs analysis. There we go. A learning needs analysis, whatever you want to call them. And and they had this had, he had this guest on that basically said there's a there's a fundamental flaw in a training or learning needs analysis because it before you even started the title of the document or the process or whatever assumes that what you need is training and learning um and i thought that was really interesting um and 
yeah, I just thought that was that was really interesting. And kind of the tie to itself for me, I would have said straight away, you know, well, we've got a, a learning needs gap analysis or a learning needs analysis, and then we filled that gap. And um, here's a process or here's a competency framework of, you know, here are the skills everyone needs to know, and here's the training they've had to do that. And it, but it automatically makes an assumption that we need training, but actually it might not meet. It might not be the training they need. It might be the supporting guidance, the the coaching, the you know, just having someone there it might be so much more um so in essence they were talking from a point to say you know learning and development teams should be problem solvers more than training providers or arrangers uh, facilitators would have been a better word to use um which i thought you could copy and paste that statement and put it straight into a health and safety podcast like me copy and pasting it right now and so the same applies you know we need to make we need to not assume that health and safety we need a risk assessment or we need a standard operating procedure or we need a health and safety policy i just stop assuming that that is what we need um so i thought that was really interesting does that answer this problem on here um how to show competency and how we maintain it again i think i think it's like you're not looking for a spreadsheet that says how we show competency you look at the people talk to the people i think people are normally quite quite quick to tell you whether they feel safe or competent or they know what they're doing you how many accidents are you having that can be a good sign of your competency um obviously we've got that you know it doesn't help that we've already got a problem with root cause analysis on there as we've stated already um so maybe just taking a step back and and looking at the wider piece of, you know are we employing people are we acknowledging that they may have existing competencies so we don't need to necessarily train them sometimes i think we make an assumption as i think they were trying to refer to on the podcast that training is is the, is the be all and end all and we could fix everything with that so that's quite interesting um waffling on on that one a bit so let's move on uh okay let's go to the next statement flip over onto the next page so now the, the article's kind of extended into, we've got one, two, three, four gentlemen and a lady um, who basically have a table talk about ISO 45001. So on here we've got Gerald Higgins, CEO of Antares Consulting, Martin Cottom, I think I've said that right, Group Technical Assurance and Quality Director at Lloyd's Register, Terry Fisher, Occupational Health and Safety Principal Assessor, NQA Certification, and Kate Field, Global Product Champion for Health and Safety, British Standards Institution, so BSI. So it's interesting, so I just thought, I won't go, basically they've, they've just had this conversation, so in the whole article, if you've got it or you want to get it, you can see there's like questions, and then they all have their answers. Um, so some interesting questions, and I'm not going to go through everything. One interesting question, should organizations try and make um, businesses fit to the standard and then, you know, or try it the other way or not? Um, which I thought was Kate's um, response was interesting. Management systems are tools to enable business. And as a tool, it's up to the organization to find the best way of using that. Particularly for small businesses, the framework and the language can often be daunting, but it's designed to be accessible. If you don't like the phrase around consultation, for example, on participation and you want to use engagement or something like that then do so it's your standard i really like the way she's talking about it's your standard you know if you don't like using the word consultation on participation then just call it engagement you know i like the phrase engagement and involvement you probably picked that up already it's a big thing for me and i quite like it consult consultation and engagement 
one in the same. You know, you could argue, oh, actually, consult means this and engagement means this. But, you know, from this context, I quite like what she's saying. It's your standard. You know, it's giving you the, she's alluding to the fact that it gives you the standards. It gives you the process. It gives you some tools. Um, but how you use that tool is up to you, which I thought was really, really interesting. And a nice response. A nice to hear as well, you know. So it seems to be a slight change in the tide of health and safety, which is interesting. Next question then, for those looking to certify to the standard, what should they be looking to prioritize? So it's quite a few bits here, but um, TF, so that's Terry Fisher, is that right? Yes, Terry Fisher um, said clients should do a gap analysis on what they are trying to achieve and where they are at the moment. A lot of organizations do understand what they what they're there for as a commercial entity but when you ask them how do you communicate how do you engage that's a totally different question we're going we're going into a more in-depth assessment of effectiveness of the process that's a challenge to both clients and assessors because it's a different approach the way the standards are written they shouldn't need lots of fine-tuning year on year or lots of revision. They're written quite well, so they should stand the test of time. I think that is a massive, that's a massive, massive statement to make. Um, in his opinion, he thinks these standards are awesome. Uh, by this, by what he's saying, the way they're written should stand the test of time. Um, I thought that was a massive statement for him to make. Um, and like I said, I, I don't, I haven't read forty five thousand one. I haven't seen it. I haven't done any work on it, so I couldn't really tell you if if I agree with his opinion or not. But I just thought it's interesting to to hear that, and I thought it'd be good for you guys to know, especially if you're going over to it, that you've got you know these people out there that are absolutely backing this standard. You know, they are really, really behind it. And that kind of coincides with all the other stuff with the GRI kind of working, tweaking what they do to fit with it. You've got the HSE writing bespoke guidance, the British Standards Institute. All these people are massively backing this. So I thought this was a massive testament to this standard, which is really interesting. Nice to see that they're changing it to that kind of softer side. You know, how are you communicating? How are you engaging? Um, these are not something you can prove from a spreadsheet, which kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where people are, are struggling um, and about uh, how to show competency, how to show engagement or consultation. Um, and it was saying here as well that assessors, you know, it's a challenge for assessors just as much as it is for the business, which I thought was another interesting point. It, it, they're alluding to the fact that this is quite a big change in the way they do stuff, which is good because I am not a fan of 18,001, not whatsoever. Um, so, but we'll come to that in a moment. Let's move on then. So let me find my other highlighted statement. I think this is the last one. Yes. And then you get the joy of my opinion. One explicit requirement of the standard is that management has to demonstrate leading and managing safety culture. What should they be doing? So KF, so that's Kate, what's her surname? Field. Shit. Is it Kate Field? Come on, people. Help me out. Yes, Kate Field. Kate Field answers this, being visible, being on site, understanding and demonstrating that they are committed to looking after the workforce, making the workplace healthy. 
and making the help the workplace healthy um, one thing that a lot of organizations often fail to clearly show is that they're getting more involvement from workforce from workforce and implementing workforce so workforce suggestions I'm absolutely butchering this statement sorry um, <clears throat> it shows that the commitment is there 45,001 does require le leadership to protect workers from reprisals it is going to raise standards on occupational health and safety around the world because it's going to ask organisations to do things that aren't necessarily part of the legislative framework, which I thought was friggin' awesome. If that is what it does, if it is awesome, I am ever the sceptic, uh, ever the pessimist when it comes to these kind of things. If we just look at kind of like stress management, for example, or kind of mental health management, to be legally compliant, you're you've really just got to provide a, a what's it called a telephone line with a referral system set up um, so that if they've got any serious concerns, it'll go back to the referral system and they they set you up an Oki Health, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You've got that kind of closed loop. Not much, really. You know, you you don't have to make your workplace less stressful. You don't have to try and be nice to people. You can just create stress, and then as long as you fix it when you've when you've created it, then that's cool. Um, you know, and most case studies around the civil law side of things, if you've got that set up, you know, it's very difficult to um, to receive a claim. So you can defend against claim quite quite basically. So trying to encourage people to go a bit further on mental health or, or, or to encourage companies to go a bit further on mental health is, is a struggle for a health and safety professional it's trying to push that well-being piece or that mental health piece um, it is really really difficult to try and get people to go past legislative requirements so it's really interesting that this standard is potentially requiring people to go beyond legislative requirements so that was very very interesting um, it's interesting that they're talking about leadership and culture. So, and I've read a few articles around forty-five thousand and one, and that it's a big, big thing in this. There's a big change around the focus on culture, the focus on leadership, and people buying in from the top. You know, I'm not going to lie. You can get eighty thousand and one quite easy. Um, you don't have to have buying from the top. It's a paperwork process, in my opinion. Um, so before I go on, I'm kind of spoiler alert. That's my opinion of Ayosh. Let me see if I can pick anything else out of Kate's statement. Do, 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 do. Ah, this was why I highlighted it. I remember now. So she talked about kind of visibility of leaders and leaders being involved, etc., etc. And it reminded me of something that I talk about quite a lot when I'm training. Talk about quite a lot when I'm at work, etc., etc. When I worked in manufacturing and it was one of the better paid factories in the town that I was in at the time and everyone kind of knew that but it wasn't the pay that everyone moaned about you know everyone was still complaining about working there etc it wasn't the pay they were moaning about it was always two things every Christmas it came to the party and then everyone somebody would go back in the day we used to get hampers with joints of beef and white wine and red wine and blah 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 and then they also used to say 
And we also used to see the boss all the time walking around. He knew us by name, etc., etc. And he'd be here every week. He'd come around, how are you? How's the wife? We don't get that anymore. They were the two things that everybody minds about, which I thought was really, really interesting. I think we've got to acknowledge that kind of pay is expected, which I'm probably going to waffle on about again in a future podcast slash and or video. So I thought that was interesting, that kind of, you know, if you're a boss, you're divvying out work and you're asking people to do stuff, the least you can do is go out there and ask people how they how they are and, you know, actually mean it, actually want to stand and listen to the answer, not just like, how are you? Oh yeah, great, by the way, I need that product made for six o'clock this afternoon, blah, blah, blah. You know, so I thought that was really interesting that it's alluding to the fact this standard requires stuff like that, um, which is nice. I do think there's a failing there to the point that, you know, how you're going to force businesses in a way or auditors or maybe businesses, not so much the standard, but I feel like auditors, and maybe this is what they were talking about earlier when they said about the challenges to assessors or auditors, potentially going to force businesses to make it a more formalized process, which I'm not a fan of, you know, or we're going to get the boss, James is the boss, for example, we're going to send James out into the, ask James to go out in the workforce and be more visible and maybe spot a couple of hazards if need be, or just talk to people and see if we can fix problems. Well, if you're going to have to prove that to the auditor, the auditor is going to come along and say, well, how are you doing? How can you prove you're doing that? I'm going to probably be inclined to say, right, James, when you're going out on your next one, can you take this clipboard with you and just write down things or or come back and fill out this form? That makes it a very arduous, bureaucratic process, and we come back round to square one when we're not fixing it. And that's just my opinion, and I don't know whether the standard advocates that. I don't know whether the standard kind of guides you, guides you away from that. And I'm literally just making an assumption of what... I have previously worked with auditors. It is a very paper-based system, which brings me nicely onto my opinion of the current ISO standards, 18, not ISO standard, the current 18,001, sorry. There is a very paper-based system. Um, does not create safety in any way. Does not produce safety in any way, in my opinion. Um, the auditors, the assessors, the accredited bodies, people that come and check you, etc., they force you into a corner of just having spreadsheets and paperwork, etc. And speaking from absolute experience that really if you just buy an auditor a pizza, every time they come round, you can get outstanding and pass left, right and centre. You know, you can fudge the books on where you take them. It does depend on a good auditor. There are damn good auditors out there. I remember having these two awesome auditors once. Um, and the guy said every time he audits, he always tries or every time he does a first audit of a building. So a new business or whatever, um, he always tries to bring another auditor, whether it's a trainee auditor, etc. He tries to bring another one. And I was like, yeah, I know why, because it's quite easy for me to lead one person, you know, a way or distract them or whatever it's very hard when one's asking you loads of questions and the other one just walks off and just starts looking around you can't hide shit when you're talking to one and the other one's just waltzing around asking questions taking notes and then when you get back into the room it's like hmm you said this james but actually bob said this so i thought that was awesome it does depend on the auditor 100 percent not going to say it's all the auditor's fault. I'm not going to say it's all the standard's fault. What I am saying is that if you're going to go with any of these systems, then 
just don't do it for the sake of doing it don't do it for the sake of having the badge do it to deliver safety and you know like one of these people in this this article said you've got to understand why you're doing it what do you want to achieve what's the aim um, that's massively massively important they don't create safety if you're just doing it for a badge no way shape or form um, so don't do it just for a badge people um, it's not the way to do it. it's not what they're intended for in my opinion um, I'm interested in an opportunity, hopefully in the future, to work on a 45,000. I think it'd be a good learning curve. I'm very interested to see if it's as good as these people are saying it is. Um, I'm interested to see if the changes are the challenges are the challenges and the changes are the changes. In my opinion, if that ever comes up, I will be sure to do a podcast and probably contradict myself um, again. So, just a short one of me discussing. Uh, the management standards for 45,001 article from the Irish magazine um, by what was that gentleman's name? Richard, Richard, by Richard Jones, the head of policy and public affairs at Irish. So I hope you found that useful. I hope you found that interesting. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to click subscribe and the bell. If you've liked this, give us a like. Hit me a comment below if you've worked with 45,001 or if you've worked with 18,001. What was your opinion? Did you like it? Let me know. Let's engage with each other below. If you're listening on iTunes, give us a rate and a review. I really, really appreciate that. If you listen on any other platform, give us a share, people. Um, you know it's the best health and safety podcast you've ever listened to. And do you know what? Damn it. I'm going to say it. It's up there with one of the best podcasts ever. Ever. Catch you next week, guys. Safe.